Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, at this time of the year we see a few things as we gather in worship and hear God's word. And take a walk over hearing and you'll see some themes of hope and peace and joy and love here on this Advent wreath. It's the four weeks of Advent. This is the first week of Advent. That means we are beginning a new church year. As we begin this new year, we begin by preparing for the event that changed history. Christmas. The coming of Christ to the world. In his coming, Jesus brought tomorrow to us. He brought hope to a people filled with hopelessness. He brought light to those in darkness. He brought relationships back. Relationships bonding God with his people. This week, we see hope. But along with hope this week, I want us to think about promise, covenant, and commitment. To start off, we have the hope of eternal life. Why do we have that hope? Because of a promise God made to us that was fulfilled in Christ that first Christmas. And promise and covenant really go together. It's that pledge to do something for someone. And in order to fulfill that promise or covenant, one needs the commitment to fulfill it. We can see this in the relationships we have with other people, and we'll get there in a bit. But we first have to start out with the relationship of God and his people, all people, because God's relationship with us is a model for our relationships with others. The story of God's relationship with humanity is a story of covenant, of promise. Shortly after Adam and Eve sinned, God stood at the entrance and exit to Eden and made a covenant with them in the presence of the tempting serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It was like God was saying to them, Adam and Eve, though you've disappointed me terribly through your sinning, I promise that I will restore this broken relationship between us by sending a savior who will destroy the devil's work. Eve's offspring, a savior, the promised Messiah, would crush the serpent's head. And as he did this, he would be wounded, a heel strike. And that's his death on the cross. Jesus would destroy sin, demolish the devil and his destructive works. Jesus would be the very death of death itself. The promise of a Savior continued to be spoken to Abraham and David that their descendant would bring about reconciliation between God and his people, between nations, between individuals. As the descendant of David, he was to be human. Now, if he'd only been mere human, he would not be perfect. He would merely be what every human being like you and me are, a sinner, unable to live perfectly according to God's commands. And so this Messiah would come from God to be true God as well. 
He would be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a human parent, a virgin, Mary. Thus he would be both true man and true God. And Galatians tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Thus, we celebrate Advent. It is a time when we remember God's fulfillment of promise, a promise to send a Savior, a Savior who would live under the law and fulfill that which we are unable to fulfill, the law. In his continued commitment to us, this Messiah would allow himself to be struck in the heel, as promised in Genesis, so that death itself might be forever defeated. And had also been foretold this heel strike, a non-fatal blow, would not be the end of Jesus. Even though Jesus died, death had no claim on him because he was perfect. Jesus' death wasn't his punishment. It was ours. Jesus endured the agony and pain and hell of the cross for us. And just as Jesus had promised, he laid down his life only to take it up again. And his resurrection proved the promise, the covenant of God from the beginning in the garden had been fulfilled in Jesus. And in his victory over sin, death, and the devil, Jesus promised us that this is the reality for all who believe. Victory over sin, death, and the devil. And in his continued commitment to us, He's promised us that he is always with us to the end of the age, that he will never leave us or forsake us. And he told us that he would come back for us. We were reminded of that this week as we celebrated the promise of eternal life realized for one of our oldest members, Alice Zimmerman, when we heard the words of John 14, 3 tell us this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This week we think about the promise, covenant God made in the beginning and fulfilled in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. The hope of the Savior who would redeem his people. And we have that hope and promise that Christ will come back again for us. The gospel reminds us that we are called to be ready because we do not know when Christ will return. Or as the New Testament reading said, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Don't just be ready, it's saying. Wake up, because salvation is near and every day we're closer to it. Stay ready, stay alert, stay active, be faithful unto death, and God will give you the crown of life. Remaining faithful is a part of commitment. It is God's commitment to us that makes our commitments to one another possible. And what are we committing ourselves to? To God, of course, to being faithful to him, loving him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're also committing to loving others as ourselves. And that's what Paul wrote in the New Testament reading. And how are we able to love others? Because God first loved us. We can love others and be committed to loving them, but we know that sin gets in the way of love and commitment. 
Just take relationships, for example. Marriage was intended to last a lifetime. Once sin entered the world, it entered into the marriage relationship and broke that up so that two people committed to one another can call it quits. And since sometimes it's too hard loving someone, working through things, well, then I I just don't enter into a marriage relationship with them anymore. I don't commit to forever with them. And sin has entered dating relationships, and so couples don't have to commit to one another in order to live the married life. The world tells you that you need to live with someone to see if you're compatible, to see if you can be married to them. This is completely backwards of how God intends it. You love someone and commit to them forever, and because you've committed to forever with them, you'll work to make the relationship work for forever. The world, sin, Satan doesn't like that. Satan wants to ruin all relationships, and so sin has woven its way into what was once sacred, unbreakable. So now the message is, well, if you, like you, if you and I like one another, if someone likes you, well, you don't have to put a ring on it. Plus, this gives me the out in case things don't work out. A clean break. Even if you did put a ring on it, I don't have to like it. Or you. And I can be done with you when I decide to. How's that for commitment? Yeah, it's not commitment at all. It's, it's baloney is what it is. And that's what sin has done. Commitment isn't only necessary in relationships and marriage. It's necessary in many of the things we do, including parenting, friendships, even work. You make commitments every day in your words to those who you are in a relationship with. You tell someone you'll be there at a certain time. It's a commitment you make. You tell your parents you'll be home at a certain time and what you've done is given your word. When people make promises and don't keep them, trust is lost. Next week we will see a baptism and the parents and godparents will make promises to bring that child up in the faith to bring them to worship and confirmation in the Lord's Supper, to be faithful to their children and to God, so their children remain faithful as well. Yet how many parents have not kept those promises? Maybe for some of us who are sitting here, it was our parents. Or maybe we have been those parents. Yet because we are sinners, time and time again, we don't keep our promises. We lie, we mess up, and continue to fall into temptation. But thanks be to God, because hope comes to us through the Christ child born on Christmas. It is through Christ that we have forgiveness for the many vows we have broken. Some of you may still, even after many years, be holding on to regrets over having broken a vow or a promise or something else. And though you have repented many times and have even heard forgiveness pronounced, there's always been this haunting feeling that you have not been forgiven. Or some of you may be withholding forgiveness from others 
because someone broke their promises, their vows, didn't keep their word, or harmed you in some way. You just can't forgive someone for what they've done to you. That is not loving your neighbor as yourself. So let this season of Advent remind you anew. A Savior comes to forgive, to forgive all your sins. The God who created you also covenanted a Savior to redeem you totally and completely. He comes this Advent season not only to forgive you, but also to empower you in your present covenant relationships, like marriage. Remember God's word. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because we have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. And he comes to us this Advent, this Christmas, all the time to wrap his love around us through the word and sacrament, to restore us, to help us love one another as he loves us. He comes to bring us that which we don't have within ourselves, the power to forgive and love, the power of self-control, the very power to keep our promises, our covenants. He comes to help us keep our promises and covenants to one another. Now there's a TV movie from 2004, I know that's a long time ago, and maybe some of you have seen it, maybe you've never even heard of it, but it's called Love's Enduring Promise, about one family's life out west in the 1800s. There's a touching scene regarding a promise. Clark Davis, the father, wounds himself with an axe and would have bled to death, but was found in time by a young man named Nate, who bandaged the wound and took him home to his family. Weeks later, Nate comes back and discovers that the wound had become severely infected. He spends hours cleaning out the wound and disinfecting it. Later, Clark's fever breaks and he begins to feel better. At a meal together, Clark prays, offering praise for Nate, saying, Lord God, thanks be to God for Nate, my very own miracle, who has reopened our eyes to your enduring promise. Being puzzled over the meaning of the prayer, Nate later asks Clark's daughter, Missy, Speaking of God, what did your pa mean by his enduring promise? Missy replies, That someday God will wipe away all our tears, and that all pain and suffering and heartaches will be gone. That evening when we were all together, feeling dreadful that pa was in pain, you helped give us a glimpse of that promise. With the world today and with all the difficult things that happen in our lives, whether it be this week, this last month, this last year, God has still given his promise to us. That promise is found in Revelation. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. May the message of Christmas this season Give us glimpses of the enduring promise of heaven itself, where all promises will be fulfilled and kept. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.